We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my mom? Digital pen hard at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. Who should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone. This is Kelsey Jones, executive editor of Search Engine Journal, and I'm here with Greg Holbrook. He is the founder of Oban Digital. And today we're going to talk a little bit about international search and behavior online in different countries. So, Greg, do you just want to give kind of an overview of what Oban Digital does? Sure. Thanks, Kelsey. Um, yeah, so we started in 2002, uh, very much looking at the way that international search was going to grow, realizing that uh, in order to do this correctly, you need to have people on the ground. So we're in 35 plus countries. And at that time, people were, when they were going international, were putting a finger in the air as to which markets to go for. And they were often translating their search campaigns and and their content. And we're very much anti that, as we'll we'll go on to discuss uh, further on. Uh, About six years ago, we developed our own technology around conversion. Uh, and that's cultural conversion. So we've been collecting data on how the Germans convert, how the Chinese convert, et cetera, et cetera, because obviously no point creating good international, great international campaigns uh, unless you have the right content to convert them. And and it's quite fascinating, the differences, even between the US and Canada, we'll we'll go on to discuss that later on. Um, You know, there's differences that make uh, an impact on the kind of uh, bottom line, which people need to know about. So... That's us in a nutshell. We're very much a global search and conversion agency as in 30-odd countries, which allows us to uh, you know, have a lot of contact with local search engines, local so- uh, social media platforms, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, give a real local uh, understanding of the potential in these, these countries. And just to round that off, in, in, the, in that time, what's happened is that the internet usage in many of these markets has gone through the roof. I remember a few years ago when the US was ahead of China, and, and look at it now, in terms of number of people online. Mm-hmm. And these international markets still have a lot more room to grow. So that's you know doubly exciting. The, the opportunity is there. They're growing fast. And um, you know it's just about knowing exactly how to tap into them is, is what we do. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I feel like the international search sphere and international marketing is something that isn't talked about a lot. So uh, when the contact from your company had contacted us about doing a podcast, I thought it was super interesting. And some of the stats that they had shared was um, more than 70% of internet users are now non-English speakers, yet the majority of businesses aren't even creating international versions of their websites. And, and I think that's very true. I mean, in fact, I was asked at a conference a couple of weeks ago in New York by a U.S. journalist, isn't the whole world just going to follow the U.S. eventually? Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was tongue-in-cheek or whatever, but uh, it kind of illustrated uh, the sort of attitude towards internationalization that can happen. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, when a U.K. company goes international, they'll, they will think about local language relatively quickly. But I think in the U.S. to go international can still mean Canada. It can still 
still mean Australia, mm-hmm. it mean in the UK. So there's almost this difference between the way that the two continents approach internationalization. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's so much opportunity being missed by not considering even the differences between an English speaking country as, as we'll go on, you know, again, Canada and US, US to the UK, uh, US to Australia. It's, it, they're all very different in the way they behave. And, uh, you know, it's, it's leaving money on the table if you don't really look at this in a serious light if you're an international company. Yeah, even the nuances in language is totally different um, in some cases. Yeah, I mean, we've just done a project for a U.S. brand looking at the Hispanic market that's growing, obviously. And, uh, you know, that what you're seeing in the U.S. is that um, Mexican Spanish is influencing uh, American English. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of search behavior happening on hybrid terms. Mm-hmm. You know, so things like, if you're looking at dresses, the term like maxi vestido, which, uh, which is like a long dress, mm-hmm. uh, has overtaken uh, the Spanish term. But there's, and there's all this kind of stuff going on with it, even within the U.S., that most people aren't tapping into by not having a, a Hispanic site or a, a Spanish site which is targeted for that market. Yeah, I know. And, you know, something else that, you know, we wanted to talk about today was just how people in different countries, not only their search terms and how that varies, but also their preferred navig- navigation when it comes to website design. Can mm. you speak to that a little bit of the differences between? you know, U.S.-based design is what we consider the standard and then international differences that you think are interesting and important for um, U.S. companies to know about? Sure, yeah. And in, in fact, we're in the middle of a very interesting global research project with Dell. And what Dell has asked us to do is look at cultural clusters of design preference. Um, the the, public, the report will be published uh, in the next sort of uh, six to eight weeks officially. But, you know, what you can see there is someone like Dell, who is a global company, has rolled out templates of their websites across the world. And then you can see in markets like Japan and, and, and other markets like that, where they're struggling to really get to grips with the design because the design is so different to what they're used to. Mm. So there's a difference between a global brand who has probably translated their site uh, rolled it out across the world quickly and templated this site to a local proposition. And the other thing that we did with Dell is we looked at attitudes towards brands and design. And you can really see uh, this cluster of the further away company, uh, the client is, the, the buyer is from the brand's headquarters, that their, their attitude towards the brand goes down. Uh, they, they don't feel that the, the site is local uh, and, and they don't have to put up with that because they'll have their own provision of, you know, in Dell's case, they'll have people like Acer and all that kind of uh, competition, which, which the, will have a more uh, design that's more targeted towards the, the Asian market or other, other markets. So there's that kind of dif- distinction between the two. And, you know, we will always advocate to try to get as to closest to the local offering as possible. Um, and, but that's not always financially possible for you know even someone like Dell doesn't want to do that in every market so it's our job to find out how they can cluster these design uh, this design advice uh, and to get the best uh, the best conversions uh, in, in different markets but there's there's definitely a clear division um, you know for example looking at the Canadians uh, the Canadians have a clear preference for uh, graphics graphical uh, um, engagement um, uh, you know, based on, and it's a very extensive study that we've done, and this backs up the work we've done before. Whereas, actually, the the US is not not as anywhere near as much as Canada, oh, wow. uh, nor is the UK. So, 
you know, you can get people to websites, but you need to be engaged. And, and then you need to obviously understand how they navigate through your pages. And again, Canada uh, navigates very different across the pages to the US and uh, to the UK. So what it can sound like is all oh, there's all these issues. But we, it's our job then to go, right, this is the, this is the uh, things you have to do. These are the outcomes. So you, if you're designing for uh, Canada, you need to bear in mind that they have a preference for engagement with graphical images over the US and that perhaps through testing, your US template isn't going to be as effective in Canada by just replicating that. Yeah, that so makes the, sense. Yeah, so there's all these behaviors that are, you know, uh, often from the ground up so because you're, you're, you've got a local websites that are providing local content and that's what you get used to. And what many global companies try and do is shoehorn in their template and content and go, here you go, you know, <laughs> like it or lump it. And, uh, you know, people, it's obvious from the, from the studies we've done that people, that they, sometimes they'll put up with it, but other times they won't. I mean, you mentioned India earlier on. Mm -hmm. um, now, in, India... Um, is highly it's quite similar to the Canadian uh, way of very highly engaged on, on graphics um, but have more trust in a brand like Dell hmm. because and they're more happy to navigate through that site because they see it as a US brand so you've got to combine attitudes with behaviors if you want to get the, the and, and all this is can be done through testing usability testing which we do cultural usability or cultural CRA and you can really get to those sweet spots uh, you know quite easily if you if you know how to to work on the behaviors that actually exist in these countries yeah and just for the audience listening I had brought up India earlier because it's actually I think the third um, most source of traffic for search engine journals. So, you know, it's really interesting to see how that community grows and to interact with them and the changes with that culturally, um, how they consume information. Another, yeah. another thing that um, kind of plays into that, you know, graphical side was color psychology, which is something I'm just personally really interested in, you know, how color can affect the way you know, your customers feel about a brand, whether it's your overall website or the graphics you use in your content. Is there differences in how certain countries or people from certain countries feel about specific colors? Yeah, there, there is. And, and it is the, one of the areas that people really love to know about uh, culture and design. Um, if you use red to any large extent on any website anywhere in the world apart from China, there is an obvious decline in conversions. Wow. Um, and when you dig a bit deeper, you know, um, red for us in the West and many countries means danger. Um, you know, so there's this subconscious thing, whereas in China it means success. Um, and another interesting thing is in, in places like Germany, uh, a silver checkout button often uh, gets the best conversion. Uh, on top of that, uh, recently the German government made a, a, a law almost which said that the, the button had to be a certain size and dimension. Hmm. <laughs> <Wow>. so, <laughs> so, you know, you've got all these kind of things going on. Uh, green is another interesting one. You know, in some cultures uh, it's a positive thing and others it kind of ha it has a kind of a lukewarm response and the Middle East seems to uh, be quite favorable to green uh, and there's, there's all kind of reasons behind that as well. So there's, there's a definite... Uh, aspect to it um you know that you need to te test out yeah and i think too and correct me if i'm wrong i believe that um in chinese weddings the bride wears a red wedding dress instead of white and i think that plays back to the theme of red meaning success 
Yeah, do you know what? I hadn't heard that before, but it, you know, it doesn't. It wouldn't surprise me. You know, there's a definite side to that, uh, which is, yeah, this is success. This means a happy, a happy occasion. Where for us, it's uh, it has a different, a different connotation. Um, yeah, in the Western, well, I guess in the U.S. specifically, since I've been to the U.K., but I haven't ever lived there. So, in the U.S., a lot of times, red is used to kind of mean like danger or even seduct, seductive. You know. The woman mm. in the red dress is always, you know, something, this envision of like, you know, a sexy, mysterious woman. So I think red kind of plays to that as well. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and, um, you know, we've seen it in real time. We've seen the effect on conversions if you do use red uh, to any large extent outside of outside of China. But there's a bounce if you do use it in China. Wow, interesting. So another thing that I wanted to ask you about was we at SCJ are trying to get more con content about Yandex and Baidu, which are two really popular search engines. Yandex is in Russia and Baidu is in China and Asia. Um, we have a, a writer, Eli Schwartz. He does international SEO for SurveyMonkey, and so he's been a really great writer for us on international SEO. But I'd be really interested to hear your take on Yandex and Baidu and how you think that, um, you know, U.S. or Western-based businesses should deal with those. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This this year was the first time where Yandex's uh, internet market share fell below 60%, um, but it's still dominant. You know, I think in mm -hmm. over the time Google has tried to buy, um, you know, some of the like Rambler and people like that, but it's, it's been blocked. Um, the interesting thing about Yandex is it started out, it was, it was one of the first social media search engines, you know, so it was very much an antithesis to the sort of stuff you'd get from the Russian government, you know, this was the trustworthy sort of scenario. I think where Yandex has suffered over the last few years is that it's been a bit slow in terms of um, punishing uh, dodgy link building processes, you know. Oh, I see. So they, and I've never pronounced this correctly, but the, the menu sync uh, my new sync uh, algorithm uh, change came in this year and there, there's a, a, an attempt to, for Yandex to clean its act up. Uh, also Yandex is trying to expand into places like uh, Turkey via Firefox. I mean the, the long and the short of it is is that if you are targeting Russia, now Russia is not a sexy market at the moment. <laughs> I, I can think of a year or so ago where the high net worth individuals, I mean, we're working with a couple of uh, very large US brands who are doing very well out of the US, uh, out of the Russian market. But that's kind of you know depleted for various reasons in the Russian economy but Russia will come back again and you know we'll always advise I think in a market like that to do paid search as as well as SEO and and then you just have to either you either work with uh, Yandex as it is now in its current state or you kind of future you look to the future and say well eventually they're going to be very clean like like Google in terms of link building and that kind of process but at the moment you're dealing with a slower a slower beast Gotcha. And I think, too, isn't Google not allowed in China? And that's part of probably part of where Baidu's popularity comes into play. 
for for China, yes. I mean, uh, Google's obviously had its uh, had its fallouts, and if anyone that ever deals with Baidu will tell you, you almost do feel that it probably has some connection to the government and mm-hmm. the way it does things. Um, again, you, 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 if you're targeting China, you have no choice really but to to work with Baidu. Um, I, I would say generally the SEO is more tricky there. Uh, paid search is is, is easier, and, and and often the CPCs are much lower than um, than on Google still um and also the the social media you have to look into you know weibo and wechat and things like that they're they're dominant you know uh though i I think linkedin is doing pretty well in china so you know it doesn't always mean that the local platforms have to be the ones you go for you know someone like linkedin has kind of sneaked in and i suppose been led by by the people there i mean one thing i wanted to talk about just we move on to baidu about yandex was that there's been some interesting data on click-through rates and um the you know what they found in in yandex is that about 19 percent of organic search traffic goes to position one with 16 percent going to position two um which is different to Google, um, mm-hmm. and 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 actually going back to Baidu, you'll see that both the Russian market and the Chinese market scale. You know, we used to have the golden triangle in Google. Well, actually, Russia and, yeah. and uh, China have more of a, a rectangle kind of approach. Um, in fact, in in China, you'll see them looking at SERPs all the way down to the bottom of the first page, uh, and there's all sorts of the cultural reasons for that as well. So, both of them have in common that they do dominate and their local market. Uh, Yandex has always tended to be quite high CPCs, whereas Baidu's tend to be a bit more reasonable. Um, what we really kind of spend a lot of time in is, is looking at the search behavior in those countries in terms of, you know, are people searching in Chinese? Are they searching in Russian? Mm-hmm. And we've been working with an educational university uh, in, in the States recently, and we kind of found that, you know, there's a real mixture of hybrid terms being used in the Chinese market, uh, which are, if you just translated a campaign, you would never come across. So we're always very, going back to what I said at the beginning, anti-translation, mm-hmm. anti-assumption. Um, we were looking at MBA, for example, which is a big term. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, 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 there, whereas in English, I think we'd have maybe one or two terms for MBA course. In China, there's about 20 to 30. And, um you know, if you went for the obvious one, you'd miss out on about 45,000 searches a month. Um, wow, that's a huge yeah. number. It is, yeah. And it's always been the O-Bound way is, is to, to dig out, you know, by having people on the ground, we can dig out these opportunities for clients so they they don't just assume. Because I, I do think there's a kind of common thing with international. It's not given the, the right amount of care and attention. Too many assumptions are made and then, and then you know, uh, results aren't as good as they could be and the client doesn't really know because you know they don't speak the language so it's kind of incumbent upon us to make sure that they do have a good sight of all the opportunities that are, that lay there uh, similarly when I was talking about um, you know Google and, uh, and the US with the Hispanic market you, you're finding that there's been a big growth in these kind of hybrid search terms in the uh, in the US but the, the the CPCs are much lower because people haven't really clicked onto the fact yeah. yet that these things are these behaviors are happening so that's that's what we do it's it's, it's really fun into the the nub of how search is changing and it's changing almost uh, on a monthly basis in, in some cases yeah and another great point um, that I just thought of when it comes to search behavior that I think Eli again told me about that it was a really good point he was saying okay so let's say you know you're an American and you're traveling around the world even though you may be, you know, in China where the most popular search engine is Baidu, you're still going to use Google because that's what you're used to. 
And if you flip that on it, you know, on its head, what about, you know, people that are Chinese or, you know, Russians or whoever else are coming into the U.S., they're still going to use what's familiar to them. And I thought that that was a really good point about how um, even if you don't think that you have a relevant audience on Baidu or, you know, whatever else, there still are people in the U.S. using those international search engines. I mean, have you had any experience with that? Yeah, it's something that we looked into a couple of years ago for a client, and and, and this was uh, particularly around the Polish market, um, and it was around understanding. Uh, this is when there was the, the search engine on it, uh, which was very big in Poland, and there's a lot of Polish community in the UK, and we found that they were using that a lot when they came over here, and and, and then it's, you start to get into deeper delve into how does their behavior change do they ch search mm -hmm. in polish do they search in the hybrid term um i think there is you know you've got to th think about let's go back to chi your chinese example you've got if you've got chinese people that are coming to the u.s for a holiday the chances are probably their first language is the second language english is if it's english is not going to be that strong so they're definitely going to revert to what they know which would be baidu if they're coming to study and, and English is a strong part of what they, they're, they're trying to achieve, then that, that, that would change, I think, yeah. because they would, they'd want to be a part of the culture. But the way to do it is to really investigate these things, and you can find significant opportunities for clients by, by not making assumptions but trying to understand the user a little bit more and how they might behave market by market. Um, but, so I think what, what your colleague said is absolutely right. Yeah, it's just really interesting to kind of broaden your horizons and think about, you know, more than just what you normally use. Yeah, and, and search has always been about finding opportunities, hasn't it? So, mm -hmm. you know, you can find this this kind of uncharted territory where there's this, all this opportunity happening and no one is really targeting it. And then, you know, that, that then in theory the CPCs in the competition, for example, will be much lower. So you you know you you've got some nice niches there before other people realise. And we'll always go to that level. We'll always go right. So this it's almost persona mapping. If this person was in China and they were looking for education, where would they go to try and make a decision? Gotcha. If this if this person was going to the states to to for a holiday. Um, you know, what would they be? They'd be looking for tour guides. They'd be looking, you know, do, do they do their research before they come to the States? Or when they're in the States, do they start to still, you know, rely on their, their predominant search engine for, for help and advice? You know, all those kind of things you can query and, and, and find out. Yeah, it's so much information to take in. I feel like, um, you know, if you could, and to kind of wrap things up, what would you what advice would you give to either you know the marketing department or maybe a small business owner who wants to kind of expand their presence into more international search and international markets but don't really know where to even start I'd say stop guessing uh, you know stop doing a finger in the air really try and be strategic and we still see it now you know companies going into a new market why are you going into that market um, you know be strategic really try and understand the digital landscape in that country who you might your competitors might be and this goes the same to an SME to a large company because there's a lot of large companies particularly coming out of the US who really 
don't know enough about international. It's high on their agenda, but they're kind of scared off a little bit mm -hmm. because they yeah. don't know. So really investigate CPCs, competition, what, you know, are the propensity for people to buy from you. Um, you know, you've got things like Border Free in, in the US, which already have some good data on, ah, yeah, look, there is a market tap, you know, already really wanting to buy from you. So what if you actually ramped up your marketing? You know, what else could you get out of them? So all that kind of uh, real intelligent approach to it. But the, the, the thing I would say ultimately is th th these opportunities are happening now. And I, I, I always worry about the US because it has so many good brands, so many things that people want to buy, but they really do neglect the international audience sometimes in their marketing strategy. I think the UK uh, usually is ahead in, in some senses because we have to be, we're a small country. Yeah. We've, we're, we're surrounded by multilingual environments and, and other opportunities. So we ramp up internationally very quickly. So, you know, it would be look at internationally, put it, you know, don't put it number three on your agenda, put it number two. And but what will happen from the US is they will look at Canada and they will look at Australia and they will look at UK. But they also need to look a little bit further beyond the language as well. But by all means, target the, 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 the people that speak English first, but don't assume that you're going to just cover them by having an American campaign. You're not. You're going to miss out on a lot. You need to really, there's so many differences between the UK and the US. I could, I could give 10 podcasts on it, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but we're, we're a high um, propensity market, the UK for consuming digital, you know, and buying from digital and buying from overseas. So, you know, even the UK needs strategic thought, I think. Yeah, really good advice. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. It was super interesting. Always good to learn more about international SEO. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Yes, no problem. So again, signing off, this is Kelsey Jones, Executive Editor of Search Engine Journal and Greg Holbrook, founder of Oban Digital. See you next Cheers. time. Thank you very much. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.